Welcome, everyone, to the Livestock Podcast. I'm your host, Curtis Reed. Episode 21 brings a guest on. I was really excited to talk to Marlon LeBlanc, a name in the Semitol business that people just appreciate what Marlon does, the true honesty that he conducts himself with, and you know, when you get the chance to sit down and visit with him, how honest and and humble he is, you know, just about what he sees in the cattle business, what he thinks is going to happen in the future. And as we talk to him and the background he has in the business, it's quite evident in why he brings such a strong knowledge base and opinion to what he does within the program. Thanks again to our season sponsor, Clausen Industries. Cole, you'll be listening to this. We need to get together to re-record some of our uh, sponsor highlight ad cuts because you're no longer Clausen Cattle Equipment. It's Clausen Industries. So make sure you're finding Clausen Industries on the World Wide Web at ClausenIndustries.com, and that's Clausen with a K. Our Go and Show and segment sponsored by the Cliffs Farm, as the Cliffs Farm will be hosting its annual Ladies of the Prairies online Hereford female sale October the 9th on SC Online Sales. Make sure you're following along with the Cliffs Farm on all social media channels. You can also find myself on Snapchat with Curtis Reed TCF. And there's lots of updates for cattle and, you know, as we're washing them, drying them, clipping them. We're not trying to hide anything. So if you have any questions, just feel free to find the Cliffs Farm on our social media networks or myself on Snapchat. With that. We'll jump into some shows here. The Young Ranchman's All Breed, September 3rd and 4th, Swift Current, Saskatchewan. So safe travels to everyone headed out that way as you're listening to this or if you're just headed home. The Sand Hills Showdown Jackpot at the Manitoba Bull Test Station, September 17th. Lindsay Exhibition, September 21st to the 25th in Lindsay, Ontario. The Junior Stockman Show. Back in Swift Current, Saskatchewan, September 23rd and the 24th. New Brunswick Beef Expo, Sussex to Brunswick, September 24th through the 25th. Olds Fall Classic, September 30th through October 2nd, Olds, Alberta. The Manitoba Ag X, October 28th through the 31st, Brandon, Manitoba. Lloydminster Stockade Roundup, November 1st through the 5th, Lloydminster, Saskatchewan the 100th anniversary of the Royal Agricultural Winter Fair, November 4th through the 13th, Toronto, Ontario. Edmonton Farm Fair, November 9th through the 12th, Edmonton, Alberta. And wrapping up with Canadian Western Agribition, November 28th through December 3rd, Regina, Saskatchewan. And thanks again to the Cliffs Farm for sponsoring. If you're out there listening to the podcast, thanks so much for tuning in to the Livestock Podcast. If you want 
your sales announcements or to sponsor an episode coming up on our as we work towards closing out season two. Feel free to send us a DM or you can contact myself, Curtis Reed, directly, 306-280-6858. That's 306-280-6858. And we'd be happy to discuss those options with you. Remember, an ad read goes a long way. We can do it up closer to the end of the year. We'll be publishing episodes right up to Agribition. So if you have sales coming up in you know, November, December, even something in September, October, you know, we'd be happy to help you out as best we can. With that, I don't believe we have any more announcements, uh, you know, via our DMs. Thanks for everyone sending in all those show opportunities. Make sure you hit up the Lifestock Podcast on all your social media networks at Lifestock Pod. And if you're able to subscribe or if you haven't subscribed or recommend to a friend to subscribe to us on their favorite podcast listening app. And if you feel like you've got a little bit extra time on your hands, please leave us a a rating and review so that more like-minded individuals like ourselves will find the podcast out within the podcast world. So with that, let's jump into talking to Marlon. Well, if we want to jump in from the start, then we can get right up to where we're in the midst of of that timing we talk about. So, you know, with your family as the LeBlancs, is that, you know, is R plus a, a generational kind of Semitol outfit or farm and ranch? Well, we, we started it, started AI and cows, dad and I. Uh, we had a Hereford-based commercial herd and started AI in them in 75 or 76. We started with the old extra 1A bull. Really liked the calves. Uh, we bred some mains. We bred some uh, blonde Aquitaines that year also. and Just liked the semi-calves better, I guess. So went with them and um, just played with it. I didn't do a lot with them in those days uh dad dad more grain farmer oriented so and back then you couldn't buy land there was none available so but i could get you know pasture land in this community uh, a lot of rock so it's second rate land so that was available so right so that's kind of why i leaned more to the cattle at that time mm-hmm. so yeah we started out with dad and i and and then we that's our brand our plus is our brand on the left shoulder that's that's where the name comes and it's an iconic brand across canada and in the semitol breed and people always think about the r plus or when they talk about r plus and and the you know the idea of cattle that are you know, raise in an environment where they're also going to go out and work and, and thrive in. From the from 75, when you're talking about AIing extra 1A and some mains and some blondes, did you start breeding up on those replacement females or 
as you like the Semitol cattle, you started into buying some replacement females. Like, how did you kind of develop that starting nucleus of the herd? Because, you know, right now you'd have one of the larger Semitol herds in Canada. Would that be fairly, uh, you know, safe to estimate? Yeah, yeah, we're in the top group. Um, you know, there's some big breeders in Canada that are, you know, bigger family operations, I guess. So, but yeah, we're, I forget what on the registrations were, two or three in Canada, I think. Uh, Sauter Glen, uh, yep. Double Bardee and ourselves, McMillan's, you know, there, there's some big players in this deal. But yep. Lewis Farms. But, but yeah, we're certainly one of the bigger outfits and probably just a single operation. Yeah, we probably would be the bigger one. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, we started out, uh, I, I showed cattle, custom showed cattle, um, started that in the last year of high school. So 79, um, Tableland, Semitals, uh, Ross L7. This district had a lot of breeders, a lot of purebred breeders of all breeds. Um, so I could get lots of jobs showing and I really liked it. And so you work and get a few dollars put together and try buying a heifer here or there, you know, try to keep doing that. Dad, dad was very supportive of it. We, but we didn't buy a lot of cattle as far as the full bloods. Um, we maybe owned five in our lifetime. Uh, we always were purebred breeders, so never, never chased the full blood thing. Yeah. Didn't just, they weren't maybe cut out for our climate down here where it's hot and dry most of the time. So we, we stuck with the purebreds. Okay. Yeah. When, when you mention table and, and L7, like two people I'm also quite familiar with and your two names, hopefully one day I'll get on the pod. So you'll, You'll have to tell Wade that it's not that bad, that Curtis it isn't, it doesn't feel like I'm in a government employee trying to get tax money out of you type of thing. Yeah, well, Wade, <laughs> Wade's, Wade's dad and I run around together a lot. And actually off the well, Wade, we drug him around every show we went to. He was there. Yeah. He, was, he, he was grumpy when he was four years old. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like hitting the show road in kind of that late seventies, early eighties? Because at at that time there was a slight type change going on where cattle were getting really big, and may, maybe not at the start of that type change, but probably at the height of it, right where cattle were big, big frame, and that was kind of that show world was where you bringing that influence of size into your herd or did you kind of have a type that you liked well i guess i i didn't chase it as hard as you know a lot of the guys did and it was more that we we just weren't doing that Uh, we were more commercial oriented and i was working for these guys and thought those cattle maybe needed to be more moderate but that's you know hard to say at that time because everybody you know, it was the biggest thing in your tack box was the measuring stick, right? <laughs> yeah, and there was All lots of good, good times and, and bud lights in between when you're 
when you're that age and you're traveling across Western Canada, going to some of those shows and the people you're meeting, you know, those experiences, they, they take you a long way down the road. Yeah, it was, it was great. I, the showing thing was something that I, you know, I think, I think we showed, I'm not one that, you know, logs what I've done, but I think we showed in 12 or 13 years in Denver, we had a string of cattle there. Uh, the one year when I went with Brian Ross and that group, I think we had five or six two-year-old bulls we took down there in that string that year. Yeah. Uh, we had champion bull that year with long distance. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, you know, all them old bulls that we remember. It's, it's kind of as I was thinking about what questions you might ask, I started reminiscing and going back on some of the old bulls yeah it was fun those old bulls and and the old cow families and maybe we'll get a little bit more into those uh you know at the end but i when you just start thinking back of all the years and the things you've done and and uh, some really memorable experiences whether that's at a show or a bull sale or something it always comes back to those parentage i I think that's just how us purebred guys are maybe wired. You, you relate certain time frames to to cattle, right? That's just an easy mind, mind to animal connection. With living in the southeast of Saskatchewan and quite close to the American border, I, you know, I've interviewed several people from the southeast of Saskatchewan now, or maybe even a little more in southern Alberta for my Alberta. Uh, people that have been on the podcast, but Denver comes up lots. And I was really lucky to go down there several times as a kid. But as I got older, we kind of stopped going. And, you know, my peak age of, of uh, early teens is kind of during BSE. And I, I found that since BSE, I don't think that the Canadian uptake of going back to Denver was like it was in the 90s. Uh, you know, who all did you travel down there with? Do you remember lots of Canadians? And, you know, you say you had, you guys had the champion in one of those years, the champion bowls, but, you know, I think there's been a lot of Canadian success at Denver. Do you still go now? And do you have any other favorite memories of that? Um, I haven't been there for a couple of years now, but, but probably over my, career breeding these cattle i'm sure i've been to denver over 20 times um looked at it as more of a place to go and see some new genetics and you know it was more looking for something as opposed to trying to sell what i had i was always okay you know my interests were always that next bull right next i sire you know, when I started in these red and blacks, there wasn't a lot in Canada. There was only a couple of us trying them. And I committed pretty early to them. Uh, you know, I, I knew what I wanted then. I was going hard on this red and black thing. It turned out to work. And I'm not saying it was the right thing, but right. they sure worked. You know, these cattle worked in our area. Yeah. Um, at one time, well, I'm jumping ahead of myself here, but, you know, at one time, like I said, there was a lot of 
purebred breeders in this southeast corner, and and a lot of them went in this red and black thing early. Uh, we were, I'm sure I was the first one to really commit to it. There was a few guys, you know, dabbling with some semen, but we were going hard on it right from the start. First bull I bought, and after that, there was no question which kind of cattle we were going to raise. Right. In your, if you think just timeline wise, is that, you know, you started with the AI and in 75, so are you moving to reds and blacks in the mid 80s then and pushing hard into those? Didn't start till like 91. Yep. Is when I, I got started seeing them in the U.S. and, you know, with our herd of cows, we were looking for red ones, right? right. Salt red you know, change the kind wasn't, we weren't just changing the color. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I worked in the markets, auction marts my whole life. Um, I, I ended up being a bit of a buyer for a short term, but we just couldn't sell these Samantol steers at that time. Uh, you know, they, they were on a no buy list and, and it got frustrating and, and these cattle were different and, and they, they had muscle and they, they were moderate in frame. They had some muscle to them and they were cattle you could sure work with and make something out of and still keep that, you know, that Semitol female. So so that's why why I made that change. And and we went from, you know, where there was one one feedlot in the Alberta that would even buy Semitol steers. And it was one bid for all. Didn't matter what they weighed, what they were. 75 cents at that time is what they brought. That was for a 400 or a 900 pound steer. Oh, really? And, so they were really clump in on that. I, I really like to hear about those. And I've, you know, all the times you visit, I've never asked you some of these questions about looking further back or more talking about the here and now. But I think that experience and working in those feed, you know, in a, in the feeding situation, cattle marking, selling, uh, you know, at the auction mart, man, that would open your eyes up fast, especially when buyers are telling you what they want. That they, they run our business. Um, You know, if they, if they don't like them, you know, you can sell anything. Somebody will buy it, but will you make a profit? That's the difference. Yeah. And and that's exactly the buyers told me, and I, I could name the buyers that sat me down and told me, change your cattle if you want them to bring more money. And, and we had a mentality of that time on all these exotic breeds that we, you know, everybody's were perfect, we thought, and we thought the feedlot didn't know what they were doing. That's not true. They know what they're doing. Oh, yeah. That's been a huge eye opener for myself, like in what I do for a day job and visiting feedlots, visiting commercial producers, sitting in at the odd calf sale here and there when it works in my schedule. And there is some disconnect between the two. And then say you sit on a subcommittee of, of your breed boards and they're talking about marketing and you pipe up to them. Well, influence at a, at a stockyards probably holds as much weight as spending fifty thousand dollars on print advertising. 
If you want to sell your bulls, let your breed of calves be the high sellers at the market that week. And your bulls will sell. Yeah. It's just it's just the way it is. It's you know, and 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 these change over time. Like right now, we're mm-hmm. in another transition, I think. Um, you know, these cattle might have got a little too moderate for some people, and, and we gotta put some stretch back, you know. The packing houses are asking for bigger carcass weights. So Yeah, you know. we're we're not producing more numbers of head, but we're fortunate that the the demand for beef, or even over some trying years of import export, has been strong and our populace is eating beef. So if we're needing to supply it, we're probably gonna have to make more out of one because we just can't split one into two. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh this this romantic idea of, you know, big prairie grass blowing in the wind, that's going away on us. Um we got we're gonna have to make these cattle yield, higher yielding type cattle. Um might not be the ones we all want, but but they have to meet that system to keep this going. And I think there's lots of guys have a handle on it. They understand, you know, where this industry has to go. And and I don't care what peer breed you're in, you have to understand the industry and, and you have to help your customers, you know, sometimes just give them what they need, but they'll want it after they find out it works. Yeah. Imagine this, just I'll set it up for you a little bit and purebred breeders Listening, again, thank you for listening to my podcast, but have you ever thought about at your next convention, whatever, bringing cattle buyers from different parts of the country, from locally, wherever, sitting them down and just having a little round table with them about what they're looking for or feedlot operators or some things along those lines. As long as you go into those type of conversations with a very open mind and you're not going to take offense if they say something negative about your breed because the reason they're saying something negative is they feel like it could be improved upon and you know from my breed perspective and no matter what breed you raise if you're active within your breed you always feel like there's improvements or this could be done or that could be done, but that would stir up a lot of, a lot of ideas, wouldn't it? And probably ideas that go against the grain of traditional purebred marketing ideas. Well, we actually just finished the, in Manitoba, the Semitol Association had a, our annual meetings there and they had a round table and that's exactly what they brought in. It was really good. They had a cattle buyer, a feedlot owner, and a pack and plant owner. Mm-hmm. All, all moderate-sized operations, like yeah. not not the big ones. Not the big guys. Once they get too big, the scope cha- changes more to, like you said, just pa- like pounds as profit in those situations. These moderate guys, they'd have a lot more hands-on and be doing more things themselves. Well, they're 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 opening up their markets, right? They're trying different stuff, so it it was really interesting. And I don't care 
if you're in Samenthal or Hereford or whatever, it was interesting. And yeah. boy, we need more of that kind of dialogue. All the breeds, uh, you know, the Canadian Beef Breeds Council needs to right. engage that kind of stuff. Got to work as a team here to make this work. And, and we need the breeds. Crossbreeding is, boy, what a simple way to make money. Just go to a sale every year. Yep. You know, make make your calves all look alike, and I don't care what breed they are. Make them look alike. Make them similar. Make them the right kind, and every breed has the right kind. Yep. Make- so as you're in the evenings when you're visiting around with some some other breeders and you're talking about things, what was some of the feedback on on that conversation? Because man, I would have. Love to have been a fly on the wall to just listen to, you know, people that are, that their lives depend on what's, uh, as they hit the feed bunk to when they hit the truck, right? Another one that depends on carcass quality, but still pounds of true meat yield and, and marketing opportunities. No, it was excellent. Uh, the feedback was great. Uh, I was finishing out my term as president of the CSA, and I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, these are the things that I've always pushed for and find very interesting, just because I worked that life for a pile of years. Like, Yeah, and so. if with you also having a good relationship back with the L7, like with the Ross family, that's that's what they do. Right. And, Oh, absolutely. And every, you know, I would love, I'm really hoping that next season I'll have a good spot and I'll be able to ask, uh, you know, maybe Chad to come on and talk about what's going on there and a little bit about their background. But every time him and I catch up, we, that's what we talk about. The type of cattle, the efficiencies, cost of gain, the, that's just always cranking through his brain all the time. And, and and that is exactly the way the purebred breeder needs to approach this. You know, we have to listen. I can't, can't tell people what they want. You have to give them what they ask for. Yeah. And, and I, I would say there's still a, and I, you know, I agree with that, but I still want to have some breed, you know, some differences within the breeds. Like we have Herefords and some Mains and, and I've dabbled in crossing in some Semitol genetics. I'm very happy with what's going on, but you know, as a, as a Hereford breeder, I'd, I'd sure like to see straight Hereford calves selling better because you know, that, that natural competition still comes up within mm-hmm. the, you know, a breeder scope. Right. Yeah. And it, it would you know, I, we sell some bulls to people and they get kind of red Brocco faced or black Brocco faced calves and they're, they're selling as semi or black crosses. And, you know, yeah. why aren't they selling as Hereford cross? And that's something that, you know, we've probably been sitting around and talking about for years and years, but you just haven't settled on it. And maybe it just goes back to, we're not asking the right questions. Well, the grading, when I say grading system, I mean the auction mark grading yep. where, you know, the pre-sort sales, oh, yeah. that's 
Vikings. I, I used to do that. I was one of the pre-sorters. Sit there for hours after hour sorting calves. And we were getting up into, you know, where we were doing 5,000 head a week at the markets I was with. And, and uh, it just, it's changed. Uh, at one time, you know, you, you couldn't put this kind with this kind. Now you can, uh, you know, the big exotics, then, then the whites took a kick. You, you know, tan steers always were, had to be pulled. You couldn't put them with the whites. And whites had to go over with the, the more alert cross cattle. You know, it just keeps changing, right? Uh, now, now the, you know, a lot of the British cross semis are all blended together. And that's why you're finding your broccoli faced calves. Well, they get blended in there. Long as they're long back. Right. As long as they got length, they can mix them. Yeah. And, and I think that's a term that a lot of kids and when, when people call cattle long backed at, at a auction mart stockyards, that's a good thing. When we talk about length of body, that's really what they're also saying. Or, you know, when we talk about a, a long spined one, that's, that's where, where we get that terminology because I don't care what you try and do. If you try and make one shorter and wider, you will never get them to weigh as much as if you make them longer. That's no. why short little calves at birth are 65 pounds and big, long jackfish coming out. Well, they can be hundred pounders pretty easy. Yeah. you you. It's all in balance. You know, you have to balance the guts to the length. Yeah. those cattle yields later and, mm-hmm. you know it's they're they're going to be bigger they need more capacity to hold food no oh, yeah the way it is so when did your cow herd get large enough where you stepped into just ranching and farming full-time i guess probably what about 2008 i guess I think I, I boy there, like I told you, I'm not one that writes. Oh yeah, the, just rough. We're gonna get, we're a rough timeline on here. <laughs> it's yeah, it's not I, a history quiz. I was well, I still was working out long after I started having a bull sale. I know that. So. Yeah, um, and there's lots of people that listen that are like that. Like I work out. I've I've got my yeah. cows, and it's I just don't have enough cows to support like. Was it, did you build a plan over say five or 10 years or you just felt like all of a sudden it was happening because you're still working out, you're having bull sales, you're actively involved as a breeder, you're getting out and seeing other people, but you know, some decisions come at certain times, right? Yeah, we, well, we moved to the place we're living at now, um, it's over 30 years now. And I guess that's when we decided, you know, my plan was to grow my cattle business. BSE, as stupid as it sounds, that helped us a lot because um, we had no choice. We decided to grow our herd. Yeah. Um, we were both working. My wife had a full-time job. I had a full-time job made us made it so we could you know hang on to those replacement cow yep and and that's what we did we went boy we went well over 600 cows 
mm-hmm. of actual breeding cows, not with the heifers. And it was it was a lot. <laughs> it was yeah. too too much for our facilities. I know that. And um, your focus was building from within, like you always wanted yeah. to build from your replacements, or did you feel like you also had to buy some outside groups to get those numbers up faster? We did. We did uh, in. It was around ninety nine, ninety eight, or ninety nine. We bought. Uh, JSP Stanley Palmer. Okay, I, I bought all his red cows, uh, oh. his red cows, red heifer calves, and red bull calves. Because at that time we were planning a bull sale for two thousand. Right. So I didn't think we had enough, you know, numbers at that time, quality numbers, I guess. So we made that move. Mm-hmm. And then the only other group of cows I ever bought, we bought a small group of cows from Park Hill. Uh, just by Calgary there. Okay. Uh, really good red program. And and we knew we had to make these red before I could make them black. I always knew that. So we tried to get our red numbers as high as we could for, you know, our facilities and stuff. And then we introduced the blacks probably 97-ish. Was that red selection? Also, based on what was coming out of, you know, working at the at the auction mart? Yeah. The red calves were in favor for that specific area? Well, yeah. Actually, where, where I was working, well, I worked in Arcola and Alameda quite a bit. And, and boy, that's big British country, right? Um, oh, yeah, it is. Herefords and Angus, that was... Yeah. You know, well, we didn't get a lot of semi steers. Alameda would get a lot of Charlays. And and Esteban, when that market was open, would have been predominantly Semental cattle and Charlay, hardly any British in this area. When I moved up there, that was a big, big deal change for us because, you know, we just didn't see that many British cattle in this neck of the world. But up there, they were huge. So then when you start taking these salmon tolls in there, well, nobody liked them there. It was a big transition. And then this red and black thing started working. Um, the, these red bulls would work on the Hereford cows. They worked on the Charlay cows, you know, because they didn't lose a lot of color. Right. They still blended in with grouping. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know the, the the crossbred cattle could could run together. So it's very interesting when you know with the numbers that y'all have run and and I'm sorry I I uh, forgot to off the very start to get you just to you know introduce all of your your family too because we don't ever want to leave anyone out. Every operation is is a team effort. Uh, so before I ask my next question, I better ask that because sometimes if I don't uh, and you know, say that I'm, you know, with the rest of my family and here and there, you get to the very end and you're like, oh, we need to stick this in there so I don't get in trouble. So we better open it up real quick. Yeah, no, I'll, I'm, my wife and I, Lucille, or Lucille, my wife, yep. we, we, we now run our plus sound calls. Like we solely own it and run it. Uh, we have one son, Joshua. 
and my dad, Ross, we were partners. And then my brother, Jason, was in the cattle with us for a while. And then he decided to go auctioning and farm more. Okay. So now he he looks after the farm or runs the farm. And I don't, I'm done with the farm. I just run cattle now. So. That's perfect. And now I want to kind of want to roll it back a little bit. We've talked about that in the cow herd. And so when you getting out and buying two, you know, two groups of cows to build up your numbers, but really in the grand scheme of things, the backbone of your herd is all built from within. Did you decide just right away that you weren't going to feature and sell a lot of females and keep them all? Or what was the, the idea and the theory behind that? Because, you know, you talk to other people, other producers about that. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to cash flow without selling a few males and do your, is your bull sale large enough, big enough, uh, generating enough because really, uh, you know, my farm is owned by Farm Credit Canada, so I got to make sure I've, <laughs> I'm ready to roll on my payment wise. But maybe we're at the age of that, so I didn't know if you want to touch on that a little bit. I, it's I did sell some females um, over the years, you know, consign, but I I did it for advertising purposes more. Um, no, I never was a big fan of selling females. That just I was always scared there was a bull calf in one of them females. And and my my deal was got to sell bulls if it's going to work. Um, our breed was known for females, right? Yep. So there was there wasn't many bull sales, you know, this we're only going back 22 years now since I, we started. And boy, there was hardly any bull sounds all bull sales at that time. Um I remember when it was Rob Holloway, Chuck, everybody knows Rob, but he was the one that convinced me to have a bull sale. And at that time, there was uh, Barry Labatt and McMillan's. And I, there might have been a couple sales up north, but that's all there was in Saskatchewan. It just wasn't something where people were jumping on. There was lots of Semitol bulls being marketed, but probably just privately off farm yeah and that's that's what we were doing you know we were selling you know 30 ish a year probably and and that's why we went to the bull sales because we both worked and you had to be at home to sell the bulls isn't that right it was easier to go to a one-day sale yep at that time and you know holloway chuck we've to go back with, I can go back on, if you want to hear about the checker sale and how that was born. Oh yeah. that I'm going to, I've got to. one question about following up on the bulls and then I'd love to dive back into that checkers. I'll make a note here. Okay. With growing that bull sale and you know, you're not wanting to sell lots of females. You think there's a bull in there. Like, when you were sitting down to plan out the bull sale, let's get everything rolling up to one day time management. 
like, how did you focus that? Because there's, there's so many young people out there that want to raise good quality and maybe they only have four or five bulls. There's some that are trying to sell 20. There's maybe another one out there that just had an outstanding year and sold 15 bulls. So they kept 22 to wean this year. Like what was your, you know, mindset? And this is something you and I've talked about, you know, just touched on a wee bit before, but cause you know, I, I always remember you saying to me like the commercial producer pays for the purebred cattle business. I remember you telling me that. Yeah. They do. They're, they're, they're what we have to, it's where we got to be. It's, Without them, we don't survive, any of them. I don't know what breed you're in. And then the commercial industry, and, and that's why I always say we need to listen. Um, I can go back, like I, I remember as a young guy being involved in the Semitol breed and, and listening at, at the meetings and stuff. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't involved enough to feel that I had a comment or anything. And, and we were always mad at the feedlot. You know, we they didn't know how to feed Semento cattle. We'd hire people to go tell them how to feed them. Just made no sense because I'd ask that question, like how many of your purebred breeders ever went to an auction market? And I got that answer more than one time was, well, I'm a purebred breeder. Why would I go there? Right. And and it's it's just ever without them, we don't exist. Mm-hmm. And 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 there is people in the commercial world that are successful and raise quality cattle and will pay five to ten thousand dollars for both. Uh, lots yeah. of guys think they do, they do, they yeah. will. And when they a commercial will. man sets in and spends five to ten thousand dollars on a bull, as a purebred breeder, you don't think to yourself, Oh man, I wish they would have spent more. Usually you're thinking to yourself, holy moly, like they're they're stepping into a bull here. Yeah, it's it's exactly there. They have pride in their cattle. Like they have pride in their operations, you know. They, that's yeah. why they want good. They trust. They put their faith in us to give them a product that will work and stand behind that product. Uh, when you talk to a commercial producer about their cow herd, they have as much pride in their cow herd as if someone were to ask you or I. Right, that's that's your livelihood. That's correct, and that's why they're fun to listen to, because the passion that those people have. You know, I don't know if we all have as much passion as a lot of these commercial herds do. It's always just such a balance to sit back and think about the Canadian beef industry itself, mm-hmm. because whether you call it a food chain or the flow of everything. And, you know, I've sat through my, my classes at university where they try and label things, elite seed stock, seed stock, breeders, commercial cattlemen, feeders and everything. And they're all trying to brand it all. And really it just, it comes back to what you've told me. Commercial cattlemen are the base and, and, establish and allow for purebred operations to exist selling breeder bulls really 
how many people do you know that make a living selling breeder bulls? It's a pretty small percentage. It'd be a sliver of a sliver of a sliver. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it's, yeah. Mm -hmm. The commercial guys got to show up on sale day or yeah. it's not fun. So when, was it your commercial producers that came to you and said, Marlon, we want you to sell, you know, for how many years, I'm not sure how it was, as many two-year-old bulls as you can market. And I could, there's how many people for 10-year spans have sold or 30-year spans have sold two-year-old semitall bulls? You can probably only put up three or four fingers. Yeah, there isn't a lot. There's a few now doing it. And we, we don't do it in a big way. But part of the reason that we went to the two-year-olds was it's another market. But we we don't have, we don't have all our cows January 1st. We, we don't have a facility that will handle the numbers we have. And so we went with, you know, our later calves get pushed and we just leave them as two-year-olds. And then we, and they're designed for that. They're not, they're not bulls that didn't make the sale as yearling or weren't good enough. We have, we kind of cut them off at a certain date and then we leave those for twos and mm -hmm. try to get 35, 45 a year is what our goal was. Um, was it a big expansion moving into two-year-old bulls? Like, was it building two extra pens you needed so many extra acres of grass like how did that work in your plan yeah the grass probably was the bigger thing and and when i did decide to do that happened to just that there was some grass come up for tender in my area and we were lucky enough to get it and then that allowed us to it was land that there's no cows around us. So. Yeah. I was just, that was my next question is like how many of them bulls sort themselves off from fighting or getting through fence or the, when I think of two year old bulls, I, you know, makes me a little bit nervous when you put 40 of them out in, uh, out in a field together. Right. It's the two year old business is not for the meek. Yeah. <laughs> You have to have a constitution to accept. <laughs> there, there are just things out of your control. Yeah, your best bull is going to pop a shoulder, guaranteed. Yeah. That's yeah. just the way it is. Um, we put out 45, I think, this year, or 50 maybe. And I'm sure we're down eight already. It, it's just the way it is. Like, yeah. You just accept those losses. and But it... I enjoy selling the two-year-olds because because it's cool to see how they develop and which ones do survive. And having said that, that it is these bulls do break down. Some of that is they were meant to break down, right? You know, and I'm not trying to knock my program, but boy, it makes you breed cattle differently okay. when you when you start raising two-year-old bulls. You start looking at cattle different. Start, that makes complete sense to me. Yeah, you start seeing it's the structure that allows those bulls to break down. It, it's not 
so much the fighting because why don't they all break down because they all fight um so it, it's the ones that are structured wrong they're the ones that will break down on you so they're doing you a favor yeah but again, did you find that you were then taking those pedigrees parentages back into selection on your heifer calves more as you were following those two-year-olds like did that equate itself yeah, you, you. I looked at, started looking at structure differently. Um, I'm not going to say I looked at pedigrees so much as just the structure of the cattle. Um, we just these cattle needed to be more flexible in their joints, and that's when you like to breed muscle the way I do. Yep, those are things you have to watch. Um, oh yeah, things are connected. That's yeah, that's just absolutely. how breeding works. Yeah, every, every piece of the animal has a job. Claussen Cattle Equipment is back with the Livestock Podcast as our season sponsor for season two. And without them, we wouldn't be able to bring you such wonderful content every month. So welcome, Cole, to the podcast. Please uh, tell us a little about Claussen Cattle Equipment. Claussen Cattle Equipment is proud to be manufacturing premium quality livestock equipment since 2008. We strive to do so in a way that keeps not only our customers happy, but also our valued employees. We believe that honesty, integrity, community, friendship, and family are important for everyone. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and be sure to check out our website, ClawsonCattleEquipment.com for all up-to-date information, pricing, and the latest contact information. Call Cole at 780-205-4945. Again, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much to Claussen Cattle Equipment for being our season two sponsor coming back from season one. Without your support, we would not be able to make this podcast happen. Mm-hmm. So for my my Semitol uh, fanatic listeners out there, uh, you know, I get lots of feedback uh, when I've had some Semitol uh, listeners on, and I sure appreciate from everyone. But let's jump back to what you had said there about, you know, uh, Mr. Holloway, Chuck Rob, uh, and starting of checkers, because I, I think now that some of these sales have gone on so long, there's a little bit of, oh, when did this start or how long has it been going? Or, you know, I wonder who the first ones were, right? I can tell you exactly when Checkers was born and the exact spot it was born, and that was at Aggravation. I might be wrong on the year, but 93, I'm sure it was. Um, this white-haired gentleman come shaking along, stopped, and one, I had five heifers there that year. We had one bread and four heifer calves, solid red, and one blazed. And he had never seen these semitoles before. And that's, he comes shaking along there and, I, you know, and I'm sure everyone that knows Rob would know which words he was using, but that's where he introduced himself to me and we become lifelong friends after that. But about two days after we had visited, he come back and he said, how many of these things are around? Is there enough to start a sale? And he had uh, Valerie with him, a uh, bomber if anyone remembers Balmer. And 
they started talking and I said, well, yeah, at that time, Chad Ross and Brian were breeding some. And there's a few other guys locally here. I said, yeah, we can find enough cattle to start a sale. And that's where Checkers and, and Val was the one that named it Checkers. Was that because of the black and red and yes. some of the white? Yeah. Yes, that's exactly yeah. where she come up with that name. And, and that's where it was born and, and went on. We took cattle out there, I think, till 99. Okay. And when you had asked earlier when I decided not to sell females, well, that was part of it then. And we were only taking three or four out there every year, but it was fun. Uh, it was a very classy sale. We had art, cattle, and tuxedos on the ring mount. And it was a pretty cool event. And, and uh, Buck would manage all the cattle at that time. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I, from my, everything I've heard of Mr. Holloway, Chuck, I never had the opportunity to meet him. It sounded like he was very much just in touch with the marketing and, you know, yeah. ha- having that that next level, that image, and tying it all back together into the cattle. And it, it'd be neat to hear about. I might have to next time I see Mark, just ask him about that a little bit. Have a visit over yeah. if, if he remembers the checkers, because I imagine he would have been been along to quite a few. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to think if, yeah, Mark would have been involved, but he had been pretty darn young then. But it was, no, it was it was just, for me, it was a big deal, you know, coming out of Esteban and pulling in there. Yep. All the years we went, I don't think we ever went. There wasn't a full-on blizzard. <laughs> Stu McIntyre went with me once. I had Chad Ross with me one time. Uh, Barry Bassick Jr. was with us one oh, time. Yeah. Yep, we had. Yeah, it was. It was. It was just kind of cool, is what it was. So after you've stopped selling females and you're working on things, and it turned into where you sold the pick of your females, correct? Yeah. Now yeah. and and you get out there and the notoriety of having an R plus cow on the bottom side of someone else's prefix. Like people notice that, and it's something that you pick up on the page right away. I, I'll i tell this story. I had someone that's bought the pick from you and that, and you told them, oh, just wait till they calve and then come and pick one. And I believe they, they ended up picking one that was, you know, maybe even a three-year-old or something like that because you felt like you wanted a tried-and-true cow to leave your place because of selling the pick. So, you know, I I don't know if you want that out there or not. You, if you don't want it, we can cut it out, but like, what's the, what's the mentality of that? We've been very open on that. Uh, Yeah. Come and, you know, at least make sure like I, we don't let them pick till they're calved out. Uh, We keep all that first cabin group together and we try to make sure you know, they get a good one because it doesn't do us any good if the cow doesn't work, right? Um, so it, there again, it's an advertising thing. Oh, yeah. How many me. of them pick one with a bull calf? Most will lean for a heifer calf. Yeah, so they can double up on the R-plus genetics. Well, and that's smart, in a, yeah. right? 
Yeah. Two outside the, bred ones. I think this year they picked a bull calf. I think. Uh-huh. Does that sure. does that sell, selling of that female lead off your bull sale or does it wrap it up? Uh, we usually do it kind of in the middle of the segment. Okay. Yeah. We'll, in a break spot. Yeah. I, there again, that's a, I've never, my sales managers have always run my sale. I, I try to stay out of it. They're professionals and that's what they're hired for. So we let them and that's the sale that's coming up. will be run the same way. So you're telling me that people are going to show up at your place in December 21st, 22nd. And really since 1999, there's only been one female leave your place a year. No, we actually, I, I got to back you up a bit. Okay. We, we did go to sensational for a few years with, you know, four efforts kind of thing. Yep. I think, I think 2003 was our last year. Right. So you've, you've, per, we've pretty much had 20 years, 19 years of only one leaving a year. Yeah. Basically. Man, that's, that is going to be a set. That'll be unreal. Yeah, we, we took uh, one year, two times we went to the Borison summer events with one animal. Right, yeah. Yeah, and that, that was just, there again, kind of an advertising thing. And those those are fun events, and and they do all the work, so it worked out great for me. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, But yeah, virtually, there are not many females we have sold other than commercially. Uh, we've we've been selling off our you know middle set of heifer calves to mostly commercial guys. Uh, we've been taking them up into Lloyd Minster to that sale up there with uh, Jim Pulak. Oh yeah, and like shoot, how many cows sell in in the northwest of Saskatchewan and the northeast of Alberta that Jim Pulak doesn't touch? That guy is. Uh, is legendary out there on the road doing doing his thing, and again, that's that's cattle buying, that's selling, that's that's marketing, and really, a, when you're a purebred breeder and you get up to a certain size, you can't keep them all. Some aren't meant to be purebreds per se, but they're still damn good cattle. Well, we we were selling them privately, like locally but we we got so dry down here that just nobody was growing their herds and and jim just mentioned that send me a load i can sell them yeah but we did and man it was (laughs) we've we've done very well sold very well up to three thousand dollars for these oh that's really good i've heard whispers in the industry that the projected largest cow herd in Saskatchewan is now in the Northwest just due to the consecutive years of drought and the changeover and things like that. And I believe the largest yeah, cattle herd is in of Saskatchewan is now located in the Northwest. Yeah, I would think you're right. Uh, this south of the one is more farming, less cow, right? Oh yeah, especially around Regina, there like farmland yeah. itself has just exploded. Yeah, you got to go when you leave. Like we live on this Surus Ridge here, mm-hmm. so there's rocks. 
Um, and you get six miles west of Estevan, pretty near to Barry Labatt's. You don't see many fences. Yeah. At least 50 miles there where you hardly would see a fence along parallel to the U.S. port. Right. So it's, and that's the other thing, this area here, like we're cut off. We, we have to sell in a semicircle. You know, we do have some U.S. customers, but not a lot. So we're selling into a semicircle all the time. Yeah, that's right. And to get outside of that or even farther reaching becomes different. Like what's it been like the past several years here? I don't know if you're going to, whether we say five to 10 years, but like the demand of, of breeders coming and buying some R plus bulls, you can kind of just see it in advertisements. And, you know, I'm, I'm from the outside looking in, I'm watching and it just seems like, man, like they're banging that gavel and, and cattle are, have really been moving from your perspective, what's it like seeing more of your bulls back in on some, some breeder herds? Well, it's, I don't know. It's, it's humbling, I guess. I don't know how I answer that, Curtis. I just, I'm always surprised. (laughs) You know, I, I'm proud of my cattle. I believe in my cattle. I just, you know, and, and, and a lot of these bulls have worked. Um, not not to blow my own horn either. Just I'm just shocked, uh, you know, and I and I do I credit a lot of it to just being able to maintain that females. Yeah. Um, you know, I the old story we and I think we all believe it too. Like I can sell you my best cow and I can take your best cow. And neither of us will have as much success if we both keep our own cows. Right. If you understand what I mean, like it just, those cattle, they can stay in their own climate and, and they, they want to work. And and these cows, not to say they won't work for everyone, they will. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's just, it's just really hard for me to part with females. I'm just yeah, I always struggled with that. You've also struck me as the type of person that has, and I'm not over-exaggerating this by any means, you have the expectation that your cattle need to work as well for someone else as they do for you. And that has always come across 100% to me when we're in conversation. And and I appreciate that, and I truly believe that too. Okay. That that's you know it's like that pick of the herd. That's the most stressful thing we sell that day for me because it's will it work? And I've asked several people that have bought that pick of the herd, and it it just always comes back where I, my previous question I was maybe setting you up a little bit because I think out there your nature and your expectations you know, and the type of man you are and following up on your word and with customers and that, I think that's been as critical to your marketing and success as it is because word of mouth is still the most powerful tool there is. And when people are out there freely saying, man, Marlon treats you amazing. And when I went there to pick my cow, 
we started in the breads and we looked through all the breads and you're super impressed. Then you go through them first calvers and then you go through the next group of cows and and it's overwhelming because you're also just so open about what you're seeing in front of you and you're not trying to sugarcoat it to someone that that was said back to me about you so you know I've and even from my personal experience I visited with you more and more I've probably got to know you you know even better since we uh, did some side by side judging out east together and we come back and we we've seen each other more and more and and I really appreciate the time that you give me when we visit but you know you said that you always seem to have a really good just piece of advice for me or or just you say something and it's that level of respect and how you're treating people and that word of encouragement you give you know i imagine you give it to all the young people and even people your age that you're talking about the business because sometimes it's a hard business and and every day's not the best and you've just always passed along that and i wanted to say thank you quick before i jumped into to the kind of final section of of our interview cuz that's something i've greatly appreciated well appreciate you saying that and as to follow up like the young kids like i always help at agribition there cuz i we don't show anymore that's just the highlight of my years to watch all the young guys and and see them grow. Like I've watched some of these kids. I don't know how many years I've marshaled that show. It's forever. It's it's quite a few. You might be, you could be in the run. And I, I don't know about the other breeds, but if people took tallies, like you'd have a big number behind, behind how many you've been at. Right. Well, it's, it's yeah. And it, and I do, I've watched these young kids grow at aggravation. So it's, it's really cool for me. And, uh, you know, and it is, it's a thrill to see one that, you know, might have our prefix or some sired by one of our bulls or something. So it's pretty cool. It just, it's, you know, and all breeders take pride in that, but it, it I like the kids watching yeah. them, how they've grown. And, you know, I think of all them young guys and, you know, when they were just coming there to have a beer more or less the way I did when I started and all of a sudden, you know, man they're they're leading champions and carrying banners it's been fun to watch and it seems like lately carrying babies there's been like a big old boom in that barn (laughs) where holy moly water's been good in saskatchewan yeah that's true Uh, with the culmination of what we've talked about and and bringing it back in and i've already hinted at december 21st 22nd the R plus cattle herd will be dispersed and we touched on it at the very, very start there. And you just felt like it was time. It's, it's the right time. And I've used this, uh, you know, it's one of my very favorite quotes. I doubt I'll ever stop using it, but you know, luck is where hard work meets dedication. So when people wish you luck on that, I I sure hope they know the work and dedication you have into it because know you're building up your own luck so i just wanted to maybe talk to you about the idea of dispersing and how you start to set it up and i know it's not all done like you know the setup and the preparation and maybe if there were some cow families that 
take you back to the start or some things that have come out and and just kind of open it up to you for that. As far as the decision to disperse that, to be honest, that that happened the night of the bull ceremony. I just sat and thought about things and wondered how many more years I want to calve 600 cows and, you know, stuff like that. Um, just everything. Uh, we've got a great crew that works for us because we don't, we're not passing it on. So, and they're starting to wonder how much longer we're doing all this work too. So just time to, to kick back a little bit, slow down on the purebred thing, move, you know, do commercial, maybe yearlings, do more of that kind of stuff is our, is where we're heading. Um, mm-hmm. As far as the cow families, I guess I would have to lean back, you know, to, to the bulls, right. The bulls right. that we, used like i'm i'm not sure curtis again on the dates and the years but we haven't used a lot of outside bulls right over the past 20 years mm-hmm. um, we've used we'll introduce bulls through ai um, try that see if we can find something that we like and then and then look for some of those pedigrees in the next bulls we purchase right right so but but a lot of our you know, when, when the catalog does come out for our sale, boy, it's, it'll be heavy R plus. No, oh, yeah. I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying that's what we did. Yep. Um, but just, you, that's also combined with not selling those females. As you kept all those females solidified the backbone within those cows, within the sire groups of those cows. And, and like my idea in my cow herd is a lot about cow families, but I think that's also because we're small. When you get up to a larger number and you're working on lots of those numbers, well, you could have an exponential amount of cows all with the same cow family name. So then you're really starting to sort back through them through sires. Like we're recording this at the end of August and it's probably going to come out in September. I want to get it out, you know, well ahead of time. So, people can hear us talk a little bit about the dispersal too. Uh, but, you know, have you started picturing, like what's your guys's kind of idea for marketing that dispersal? It's, it's not a secret. A lot of people in the industry are talking about it because I feel that it's already an event that's building momentum out there because people understand the opportunity that comes with opening up a herd of cows like this. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, I think the plan is we're going to start picturing around the 20th of September, like do the, the big group of cows. And then we'll take another run at the calves later on, you know, in a couple weeks prior, just at catalog time, probably. Just because our calves aren't January born. So just get them time to get settled in and weaned. And, yeah. And, and then go for pictures after that. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, we've run a few ads, I guess, you know, the word of mouth thing, it traveled pretty fast, you know, with social media. It's like I, when I told T-Bar-C that Ben Wright, that I was going to disperse, he didn't believe me first. 
And then when he finally did, then, okay, well, we got to pick dates and we got to get it announced. So, so it all happened fast. Like it yeah. really did. Yeah. And as far as the marketing, I guess I'm going to approach it a lot. Like I do a bull sales, just word of mouth. Yeah. Um, our, our bull sale, it has marketed itself over the years. I, and I don't want to sound arrogant saying that. Just it has. I, I don't think it's arrogant at all because there's people out there that are just like me uh, and we're hungry to build that, but to apply the patience that's necessary, like, man, that can be hard because building a word of mouth marketing opportunity, it's not behind a marketing plan. It, you can't push that by, by asking people to talk about you. That's something that truly happens organically between people. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we, you know, just go back on, you know, being a purebred breeder and how do you build a herd and, and, you know, the successful ones, you never can be scared to move a bull out of your program. If he's not doing what you want him to do, you leave him. Because, right. boy, it's painful if you leave him in the herd. To try and make the, the dollar signs work out right. Well, I need to breed him for one more year and get this many more calves. And well, I've, I've cut the head off. And I shouldn't say cut the head off. <laughs> no, we get it. We moved them out of the herd. And they, they had big price tags on them. Yep. And we just took them out. Uh, and having said that, we've used bulls of our own that weren't high-value bulls, but had the cows behind them that I knew they'd work. And, and, and they have. And and that is a part of it. It's And when you ask about cow families, for me, I'm sure once we start looking at the catalog, I'll start seeing that. But that's not my high selection. I, I, I still pick cattle with my eye. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I just that's what we do. And mm -hmm. part of it is with numbers. It, it's hard to, you know, I don't care which cow they're out of. If they're not good enough, they're not good enough. Yeah, that's that's totally true. G E E P D ing a turd still makes it a turd. Exactly. And, <laughs> and it hurts. You know, I look at the ear tag and I'm wow, you know how much I got into her. Right. <laughs> right. Know, still gotta go. Do you know how long I planned you, you little bugger, when they don't work <laughs> out right? Because it's not like it's willy-nilly. You're you're planning to maximize every breeding decision. Every breeder out there is, but sometimes it just doesn't work. It's yeah, and that that's why there is an industry. That's why we have to have so many of them because mm -hmm. they don't work. Yeah, like you yourself, you've spent time on many boards and committees and being part of, you know, these different sales, running your own bull sales and that. And you know, I just I sure appreciate your time to come on the podcast and talk a little bit about your cow herd and the development, I think, you know, th this will be one that I'll listen back to and skip whenever I'm talking because I, sometimes I sound like I'm full of BS, 
but yeah, I appreciate the the info and the knowledge that you pass along and we're just shooting the shooting the shit. I potentially have a ice cold can of something sitting behind me and I've been sipping it on mute listening to you talk because it's I I just enjoy that and I learned so much from that. So from from myself and all the listeners of the Livestock Podcast, uh, thanks for coming on tonight, Marlon. And again, I want to wish you the best of luck as as you're leading up to your dispersal because you know you've got so much into your cow herd and the passion that you have for it. It's going to be a ripper. Well, we I guess we hope so. I I'm more. For me, it's if the cows can go on, go into some young breeders' herds, that would be great. That, that would make it successful for us. Uh, if we could see them, you know, in pedigrees for a few more years, that would be pretty cool mm-hmm. for, for Lucille and I. So, yeah, and I appreciate you calling and thinking I have something to talk about. I appreciate that greatly. Hopefully you can make it and everybody else can make it to our sale. I've already got it on my calendar, non-negotiable. Perfect. Yeah, my I've <laughs> even sent the dates to my dad and I was like, Dad, I'm gone overnight on the 21st, so I need you here to feed cows. Perfect. Nope. I sure look forward to it. And, well, I know I'll bump into you beforehand, but, again, yeah. thanks for coming on the Livestock Podcast and we'll – uh Talk to you coming up. Look forward to it. That interview discussion with Marlon again, what a humble man that sticks to his guns and always has. Type of fellow that always will. It's so unique how he comes from that cattle buying background and spending that time on the side of the cattle industry where Really, that's what's propping up purebred cattle or the show cattle industry or lots of different things. I hear people talk quite a bit how, you know, sometimes show cattle and the commercial cattle world are different. But when we talk about showing steers, well, they still need to be market ready and market ready really is dictated by the industry and I don't think it's a bad thing if we have more correlation between the two and open discussion about it too. Some commercial cattle producers have maybe put a bad rap on showing cattle and some purebred producers have maybe put a bad rap on showing cattle. But going forward, the way we've advanced genetics over the I don't know, past several decades, as Marlin had, had talked about briefly there, cattle are as good now as they have ever been and i feel like our businesses the industries are tied together as effectively as ever before and we need to just keep continuing building upon that if you have some ideas or some follow-up questions or something you'd like to hear on the livestock podcast make sure you send us a dm on our social media channels you can find us with at livestock pod send us in those ideas send us in the people you want to hear 
you know, we love what we're doing and we just want to keep it as relevant as possible to everyone listening. So I'm going to close out with the second part of my usual closeout. Opportunities can be few and far between. When you feel like one is in front of you, push ahead and build on that experience and the relationships you've formed. Well, this one goes out to Marlon. I think the purebred cattle business is better because you were a part of it. There's so many young people that can attribute some success and a you know vast knowledge that you've shared with them. Now, it's not like you're going away or or kicking the bucket or nothing, but for all those that have worked with you or that you've shared some advice with within the purebred cattle sector, sure appreciate it. And if you haven't, please call Marlon and talk to him about cattle, livestock, what he sees coming up. If you have a passion in the Semitol business and the Semitol breed of cattle, I just can't tell you strong enough from the heart, get out there and visit that cow herd. It will not disappoint you. So with that, sure appreciate you listening to the Livestock Podcast, and we'll be talking to you soon.